You're listening to the On Call Thoughts podcast, where medical students talk about mental health, work-life balance, medical specialties, and much, much more. This week's episode will focus on exploring the field of endocrinology as well as speaking on resiliency in medicine and medical education. Our guide for this journey is another special guest from the auto medical community. In today's episode, Aaron and I will be interviewing Dr. Christopher Tran. Dr. Tran obtained his MD degree at the University of Toronto. He then completed his postgraduate medical training in internal medicine at the University of Ottawa, followed by fellowship training in endocrinology and metabolism at the University of Ottawa. He works as an endocrinologist and is our content expert for our endocrinology block. Dr. Tran is an excellent teacher and engages us medical learners by breaking down complex topics into simple concepts, all while taking care of his cute kids during lecture, which we always enjoy seeing. (laughs) So thank you. Thanks so much, Dr. Tran, for joining us today. You're very much welcome. Thanks for having me. And I guess we'll start off. We we usually start this podcast off uh, with some icebreakers. So it's okay with uh, you. We're going to do some uh, one-word rapid-fire questions and let us know your preference. Okay. So uh, coffee versus tea. No, coffee, coffee for sure. And uh, I don't know, how, I don't know if I'm allowed to like talk extra, but uh, yeah, Ottawa yeah, has a pretty ahead. good. Ottawa has a pretty good coffee scene. Um, uh, uh, yeah, I just want to say a lot of independent stores and some local stores like uh, you know Bridgehead and Happy Goats and Equator. Ooh. So uh, it's a pretty good coffee scene here in Ottawa. Yeah, I've been to Happy Goats. It's a pretty good. Oh, very like good. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They have good chai tea. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah okay. yeah and they have uh, the milk alternatives are great too like I, i'm not lactose intolerant but my wife is and so her, yeah. her go-to is uh the oat milk uh, chai latte yeah oat milk is pretty great too yeah. i actually have a uh, allergy to dairy so oh there you go okay I, very good that's yeah. awesome okay uh cats or dogs yeah i'm a, i'm a, like deathly allergic to cats but i am I, I like cats more i'm just uh i'm like introverted <laughs> at hearts and uh cats kind of like to be left alone sometimes and do their own thing yeah i can really relate to uh to cats um <laughs> although they do cause bronchospasm they're uh i would never have one but i, I do appreciate them more than uh, than dogs yeah okay um ottawa in the summer versus the winter yeah, is that even a question? Like, who's <laughs> no, like, of course, of course, summer, like, summer, so much better. When you have kids, it's just so much easier to um, play with them outside. It just really passes the time a bit faster. Uh, winter time is still possible. You just bundle them up. Uh, but the yeah. uh, good thing about winter is uh, indoor frisbee. Like, I'm a big ultimate frisbee uh, fan. Uh, and so, when you play indoors in winter, there's like no wind at all. So it makes all of my throws look amazing. Uh, so I like I like that part of winter. Uh, yeah, but yeah, I, of course I'd, I'd rather uh, prefer summer. Yeah, okay. that's awesome. All right, so <laughs> community clinic versus hospital wards. Yeah, it's a, a tough one. I haven't. Um, I don't do either. <laughs> I'm in a, I'm an academic center uh, clinic in the hospital. So, uh, uh, but yeah, if I were to choose one versus another, certainly clinic. Uh, endocrinology is mostly outpatient, not so much inpatients. Uh, what people do in the hospital wards are fantastic, and um, you know your frontline workers are great. But for the way I, the, my preference though is the outpatient world, so community clinic in that sense. Yeah. Okay. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, day shifts versus night shifts. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, um, having gone through night shifts recently, my kids are four and two, uh, and they're still the occasional night shift. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely oh. more day shifts. Uh, great thing about endocrinology is uh, there are no night shifts. Um, uh, sometimes we're on call and we get pages from from patients in the middle of the night. It's rare though. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, definitely prefer working during the day for sure. Yeah. That sounds pretty good. Um, and the last one is scrubs versus uh, formal attire. Yeah, the better of uh, two evils. No, it's uh, yeah, yeah, I would say formal. It's been a long time since I did scrubs. Uh, it was a good time as a med student on surgery rotations. It was kind of fun there. But uh, no, I like formal formal attire. It's, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Gonna pass it on to Zena. Yeah. So uh, we've. We've gotten to know you so far as just one of our teachers and educators, and it's kind of nice to learn a little bit more about you. So I wonder what what are some of your hobbies? Uh, yeah, I, I tell people that, you know, when you go into med school and then residency and so on, like as you move on, you might have to drop a few hobbies here and there. Uh, but also say like you can do whatever you like as long as you commit time to it or find the time to commit. Uh, you can make anything happen if you try hard enough. So uh, my hobbies, though, uh, <laughs> they are we had become few and far between because of all these other commitments. But uh, I still try to stick to them. So uh, they're all, and they're all nerdy. Uh, so like the crossword, mm-hmm. one of them, it sounds really nerdy. But uh, I have this like New York Times uh, crossword app on my iPad. And like a lot of these gaming apps, there is uh, streaks that you never want to break. So I'm uh, I'm not on a too long of a streak. It's something like 200 something days. But uh, I'm gonna cry if I forget to do the crossword one. Yeah, <laughs> crossword one of them. Uh, and the other one is like um, uh, I mentioned Ultimate Frisbee before. So uh, yeah, before a pandemic, uh, I used to I tried to play at least once a week just to you know uh, to get some activity in there. Uh, and then other things, like chess of all things. Like, I love chess. I don't play it at all. Like, I don't play chess. I'm not good at playing chess, but just following it, believe it or not, is uh, uh, that's one thing the pandemic has really done. Again, it's really nerdy, but uh, mm-hmm. all the sports that they had to suffer, you have to do, like, the bubbles. Like, I'm a big NBA fan, basketball as well, so I follow that. Um, but, yeah, it mm-hmm. takes a lot of effort to keep people in bubbles. Uh, but for chess, you can just do it everything online. So a lot of, like, these online tournaments uh, uh, have been available, and it's uh, it's a nice, unique time. Uh, yeah, those, and then yeah, I, I've got my kids, and <laughs> I, I love coffee, mm-hmm. I love foods. Uh, there's a lot of different. Um, I don't know if you call them hobbies more than interests. Uh, and then, but things I commit mm-hmm. time to outside of medicine, it's uh, again few and far between. But I still try to make time for it, just for a, um, uh, a uh, you know, a wellness, well-being uh, perspective. Yeah, that's really cool. Mm-hmm. I'm going to um, show how little I know about chest in a second yeah so do you prefer i know there's a fast type and a slow type right oh, oh yeah oh man i won't try to bore the audience here but yeah there's, <laughs> classical, there's rapid there's uh blitz and there's bullet chest and it all depends on the timing and so on but yeah uh so there's like purist that's like only classical that's like your your stereotypical like takes forever for one move you get like two and a half hours each uh yeah, yeah. so like yeah, I, i'm not a fan of that like there's there's a there's a merit for that i'll watch like the the summary the highlights believe it or not there are highlights but i won't watch it from start to finish that's just ridiculous uh so yeah so blitz is fun they just go super fast and uh, uh in a time where attention is so small uh, it's certainly uh, blitz is the way to go yeah sure okay all right i think we're gonna move to our next question i guess uh we like to ask this, but do you have any favorite uh, medical specialty joke or specifically endocrinology jokes? Yeah, um, I know a bunch, but they're kind of inappropriate for a podcast. <laughs> uh, uh, let's see. Um, Off the record. Yeah, I know. I will. Uh, uh, I'll just. Uh, there's. I'm like I'm a dad, so like of course I'm a big fan of the dad jokes. Um, 
can't think of anyone that's like a medical specialty one. Uh, one that comes to mind is like, uh, there's like a biologist and a chemist and a statistician that go like hunting and then uh, they see like a deer. So then they they all have these rifles and they're silenced. And uh, so the biologist uh, tries to shoot it, um, uh, but he's uh, two feet like uh, to the left. And then the chemist shoots it, but mm-hmm. she's uh, two feet to the right. And then the statistician says, we got it. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's very funny. Yeah. That's, it. <laughs> that's a good one. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Okay. What's the confidence interval on that joke? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> okay. Someone say, right. someone say it's a mean joke. Yeah. A mean joke. Oh, that's mm. a good one. Those are good puns. <laughs> yeah. Alrighty. Okay. Enough. Enough of the puns. We're gonna alienate our audience if we. If we have too many of those. Um, Okay, anyways, so Mm -hmm. I think the next category we like to ask about is uh, journey through medicine. So we kind of went over it a little bit, but we want to hear from you. Uh, So, you know, would you be able to describe, uh, Dr. Chan, your journey through, through medicine? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's uh, for those of you listening, um, you might be even asked this on your interviews for med school and residency and so on. And um, uh, my answer has changed over the years. It's... um, you know, I wasn't one of those people who knew they were going to be a doctor right away. When I did undergrad, it was sort of, it was an option there. I was interested in science. So I just sort of aimed for the highest things just so I couldn't, uh, just in case I changed my mind later. Uh, and then when I applied for med school, you know, you know, and then they very luckily got in. Uh, that's how I got in. <laughs> and then uh, and then what I wanted to do was basically, um, you know, internal medicine versus family medicine. And then um, uh, did my electives in both and then did my um uh, interviews and then I, I landed on internal medicine and uh, uh, you know for endocrinology it was uh, there was a senior resident when I was working um, as a student on medicine he just showed me how to do like a writing all the uh, all the sugars on a, a piece of paper and then like the insulin doses and how you can add them up and uh, tweak someone's insulin doses while they're in hospital and I just like fell in love right there right then and there and th- this resident has no idea how much of an impact uh, mm-hmm. he made on my career but that was like that was like the, the moment where I'm like this is really cool uh, and then so yeah after residency and uh, uh, I was lucky enough to match here uh, and then um, uh, and after the residency program there's something called a clinical scholar uh, a program or academic scholar program uh, where you pursue a master's degree and uh, also do some clinic time as well. Uh, so uh, in the past, uh, it was this year or last year, I, uh, I got my master's in medical education, which was, uh, you know, <laughs> juggling kids and, uh, and a full-time clinic and so on. Uh, it had its challenges, but very, very, very rewarding uh, uh, to, to write a 15,000 word thesis uh, during this time, but it was very rewarding. Uh, mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, whirlwind tour, that's my journey through medicine. Uh, I'll just stop there. Otherwise, I'll just keep going on and on and on. <laughs> Sounds like you had a very fulfilling career so far. Yeah, you know, I've been very happy so far. There's been challenges for sure, uh, but uh, I was I always consider consider myself like super lucky. Um, yeah. Yeah. Mm, that's awesome. So you talked a little bit about what things that made you fall in love with endocrinology. Um, 
could you talk a little bit more about why you chose that specialty in particular? Yeah. Or maybe just over the years, I had like this approach when, when a student asks me, um, uh, you know, what should I do as a career? And then I started by saying, like, think of what you don't want to do. Uh, and uh, and then I thought it worked pretty well. And then I had, I had some lots of reflection. You know, if I was if I was an e-portfolio student, this would go to my e-portfolio posts mm-hmm. just to say, mm-hmm. like, um, you know, you, maybe not a great idea to use that sort of lens because you don't also you don't want to take away from other specialties. Right. Uh, but it's still, I still think it's a valid question to ask as a start. Uh, and then another question I, I, I used to tell patients, uh, so not patients, students, um, uh, and that I sort of regret doing, and I, I want to change the words around, is um, uh, think of what is bad about a certain specialty, and if it's if you enjoy it or if you um, can endure it, then take that specialty more seriously. Uh, and again, it was just uh, being reflective, saying, you know, why am I um, saying pointing out all the bad things about the specialty? But the, but the rationale was um, you don't want to burn out. So uh, if you like neurology but you don't like stroke, you have to ask yourself a serious question. And, you know, like, can you can you um, can you pursue like a, your career in a, in a field where you don't like its bread and butter? Uh, so figure out what the bread and butter is for a, a specialty. And if you love it, then it's it's great. You know, they say if you find something you love uh, and you have that as your job, you won't have to work a day in your life. Uh, although, of course, there's some downsides, too. So yeah, so why endocrinology? So then you ask yourself, why not endocrinology? Uh, and uh, you know, why don't people want to do endocrinology? I've asked them. Uh, so then, yeah. So you know, when I want to decide, I wouldn't. I wouldn't ask an endocrinologist, why should I join your specialty? I would ask someone else, why? Why shouldn't I join endocrinology? Uh, and then they would say stuff like, "Oh, you got to see diabetes all day." I'm like, "That's fantastic! It's a, it's a, it's a chronic condition, but it's so mm-hmm. complex, and it's, uh, it affects so many people in so many ways, and uh, so many patients. Um, they have negative experiences with uh, healthcare providers because, um, you know, the healthcare providers, no, no fault of their own for the most part. They might pass on some judgment, you know, like poorly controlled. Uh, you know, why did you do this yourself? Like, I can't believe you're making these decisions. And then you get to see these patients, and you get to be one of the first people to say hey, as a human being, one person to another, how can I help you manage this difficult chronic condition that is not your fault? Uh, and uh, yeah, and there's so many new meds now. Uh, there's like glucose sensors you can use and they're getting smarter at pumps and so on. It's a, a really exciting field uh, for its bread and butter, which is diabetes. And then, yeah, most of what we see is diabetes. Um, but then there's other cool stuff too, like you're seeing an endoblock where it's, um, uh, you know, there's thyroid, there's hormones, and each of these hormones will affect all these different parts of the body, which is quite great. So the, the long, long story short, uh, there are other reasons why um, I wanted to join endocrinology, but it's all those other reasons why. So, you know, why shouldn't I do endocrinology? Oh, there's no procedures. I'm like, that's fantastic. Uh, <laughs> I am not a huge fan of procedures. Uh, if, you, if you choose to, you can do um, like thyroid biopsies, thyroid nodule biopsies. So uh, two of our endocrinologists here in Ottawa mm-hmm. will do them, uh, but I'm it doesn't it doesn't excite me. Like it's kind of cool, but uh, I would I would never you know rush to mm-hmm. I was never the one to rush to to do those procedures. Uh, there's no um, like acute stuff. There's no like instant gratification cases where like the the appendix about to burst and then you take it out, uh, or like the person's in UA fib and then you cardiovert them. You know, I call those like instant I'm a doctor moments. Yeah, you don't really get those in endocrinology. In endocrinology, like you see someone, they're high risk for fracture. Here, have this bisphosphonate medication. I'll do the bone density in 18 months and I'll see you in uh, you know April 2022. You know, like it's <laughs> very very chronic. But I, I'm I'm okay with that. So I, I'm okay with that. So, uh, 
I'm not a, you know, I'm not, uh, I don't thrive off like acute, new, uh, exciting, uh, sort of like ICU sort of stuff. And um, yeah, so those are the many, many reasons uh, I'll stop talking. Otherwise, I'll just keep going on and on and on. Oh, that was really good. <laughs> so yeah. it sounds like, you know, just so it sounds like the reasons that you're mentioning is, is that it really provides a great opportunity to really help people know with diabetes and, and it sounds like there's a bunch of you know new medications and treatment options that are coming out that can really help people would that would that be fair to say oh yeah for sure yeah, yeah and i think most specialties have that to some extent you know i'm just not aware because i'm just so laser focused on my own specialty um like i'm sure there's a bunch of other specialties that have something similar mm-hmm. but for diabetes and it's uh yeah some new agents and they, they keep surprising us in new ways to check sugars it's a good time to be an endocrinologist all right and I guess, like, I guess the lead, the leading question to that is, what is like the most significant change that I guess you've you've seen so far in your career in endocrinology? Oh, in my career, or just in like since 1921 when insulin was discovered, like, uh, when because uh, uh, yeah, that's 1921 in Toronto. That's like the defining moment. And in the um, it's 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 the insulin 100th year anniversary next year, which should be cool. Uh, there's going to be a big thing in Toronto, but it's all virtual. Um, uh, anyway, so um, I don't know. During the career, one thing. Yeah, I was never a fan. Like whenever I used to ask people, what's your favorite this, what's your favorite that's, but uh, now I kind of say like, what's in your top five? And then it sort of eases the pressure of like, what is the mm-hmm. most important thing? Yeah. Um, yeah, oh man, it's so hard to say. Uh, I, I, I kind of say like, uh, like the glucose censoring is pretty cool. So um, they're unfortunately can be really expensive. So then there is like a, an accessibility issue, but here in Ontario, uh, if you have the um, over 65 plan, the the thing called the there is a flash glucose monitor you can put on your arm, and the, it gives you a lot more information about your sugars. Uh, and now you can upload that, and it'll tell you like exactly how long you are between a certain number. So um, in in class, we talk about like A1C, A1C targets. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what's a, a new and emerging way of looking at glucose? Um, uh, values is something called time and range. So how often are you between four and 10? So if it turns out you're between four and 10, 70% of the time, then the other 30% of the time, if it is higher than 10, you know, your your vessels, your 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 nerves may not like it a bit, but they'll survive because uh, you'll go back to between four and 10 and they'll recover. Uh, so then in that way, it's so much, um, it's a much easier, much, um, you get more information out of time and range versus uh, in any one seat. Because you can have an A1C in target, but have a million lows, and that's not cool either. Yeah. Uh, or you can have an A1C slightly above target, like seven point something, and then when you look at their time and range, it's just they're between four and ten most of the time. They're just in the higher end of that four to ten range to explain the A1C. So, uh, yeah, the wearable devices uh, and the new way of uh, looking at some sugar is the time and range. Um, that's uh, yeah. If I were to choose the one thing, it would be that. And I've been doing that for about a year or two. It's uh, it's been in the in the, our diabetes conferences for the past year or two, uh, but it's slowly um, slowly gaining traction. Wow, that's so cool! Really cool. Very nice. So, if uh, if you don't mind, Dr. Tran, we'll switch gears yeah. a little bit. Um, could you tell us a little bit more about the work-life balance aspect of your career so far? Uh, yeah, work-life balance would be. Um, uh, uh, again, in the, no matter what you choose, you're going to have your, your challenges. Um, for me, it's uh, 
uh, during a pandemic. Like you just have to have a really good, uh, for me, I have kids, right? So I'm getting at a partner here. Like, so my mm-hmm. wife is just so amazing. Like it's, um, I wouldn't be anywhere without her. And uh, uh, to, to find someone that you can really rely on is, is so key. Yeah, if I, if I didn't have her, I'd be completely mm-hmm. destroyed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, um, uh, but yeah, the balance is you just have to, um, uh, you have to prioritize, as you might know, and then you're like, I, I know that, but how do I prioritize? Uh, well, I was, um, I, I read in Twitter, like it was a Twitter post one time that said, uh, uh, you know, you are replaceable at work, but you're not replaceable at home, right? Like, uh, uh, so you might be told told at work to do this, do that, do that, but even if you say no, they can find someone to do that for you. Uh, whereas, you know, no one's gonna teach my my daughter how to ride a bike other than my me and my wife right so uh so just having that is sort of is sort of nice and then just sleeping well so another thing one of my mentors told me was just make sure you're sleeping well and it's not just like sleep well it's just whatever is causing you to keep yourself up at night uh whether it's you know mental health mental strains or just like crushing netflix for two hours before you sleep like uh, maybe don't do that uh yeah you just want to wake up pretty pretty well and and energized um, because sleep's so important uh and then no uh, yeah it, i'm lucky i enjoy work it's kind of silly like when i drop my kids off at school it's just like yes now i can actually do the work that i want to do uh, i always as a physician you're always going to have a big to-do pile uh but yeah just uh, choosing a, a, a specialty and 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 that uh that that you enjoy and uh, and then the scholarly stuff if you choose to pursue scholarly stuff you, you don't have to um, but if you're at an academic center like uh, like I am, and uh, uh, and you have the opportunity to pursue some academic stuff, then whatever you are pursuing, make sure you love it and passionate about it, and don't don't do stuff that you feel like you have to. You're, you're gonna do stuff because you feel like you have to, but try to try to aim for stuff that mm-hmm. you have to do it, but you actually love to do it. That aim for something that annoys you is what uh, I was told once too. So uh, mm-hmm. if you take on a project, pick a topic that really annoys you, and then you'll 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 you're more likely to see it to its finish. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It sounds like um, you you take on a lot of different roles and responsibilities. I was wondering if you always knew you would be in an academic center. Did you always? Yeah, and that's a, that's a good question that is asked by some students. It's, uh, you know, I think, uh, I really do think there, uh, we need more exposure to community preceptors. And I do believe there's a, some of the students, um, uh, either your peers or the year above, um, leads this, uh, just to get a sense of, mm-hmm. because, because you're at an academic, academic center, uh, at a medical school, right? Uh, a lot of your tutors and teachers will be, uh, academic physicians, right? Uh, so then it's hard for us to know what's out there unless we experience it. So um, uh, so it's one of those things where, you know, community versus academic, there are pros and cons of each for sure. Uh, when I was being interviewed for community um, like office spots, uh, that, that person just said like, hey, don't you want to leave the mothership? Like none of you want to leave the mothership. You just want to stay close to it. And it has its merits. You just don't know what's out there. <laughs> Uh, but then for me, it was sort of like I, I, um, as a resident, as a clinical scholar, it was just uh, working in the same center, working with the admin staff, working with my my colleagues. And then just knowing I just wanted to stay there. I knew I'd be happy if I stayed. That's uh, sort of helped me uh, stay as an academic physician. But yeah, community physicians uh, uh, also have its role too. It's uh, first of all, you make more money. <laughs> so if you're all, if you're only in it for money, and I hope you're not, uh, there it's um, it's not like you get paid more necessarily. You can, but not necessarily. Uh, so yeah, whatever you choose to do, just 
make sure you, you love it. So the things about academic that I like is that, yeah, you can actually, um, you have more opportunities to uh, contribute more to the academic sides of things, to uh, advancing the fields. And uh, I just love teaching so much and education so much. You, you can do that as a community preceptor, don't get me wrong. It, it just seems like it just, you just have more resources if you stay academic, if you want to really pursue pursue stuff. So in a nutshell, that's, um, uh, you know, why I'm preferring academic medicine uh, for now and, and likely for the rest of my career, but we'll see how things go. Okay. I guess that leads into our next question. Uh, we were wondering um, how exactly you got involved uh, teaching academic medicine, undergrad medicine, uh, medical education. Especially, uh, yeah, it's um, when you when you do this uh, academic scholar program. Uh, uh, I, I don't think it's unique to Ottawa. I think it's in, in Canada anyway. There are these tracks you can consider. You, you not that you're pressured to get a master's, but you're, it's basically expected you do a master's, uh, and then so that's part of that is chosen for you. So then you you just get a choice of what you want to do, and then you pick the one that you think you'll love. So. Uh, medical education is that route, and yeah, I love the teaching, and um, uh, yeah, I just love the teaching aspect of it. So it just made more natural sense to me. Uh, things like clinical epidemiology, public health, um, bioinformatics. Um, uh, there's many different master's programs out there. Uh, quality improvements. Uh, uh, there's a lot of different ones out there. So when it's time for you to make that decision, you're going to be talking to all these mentors that can help you. Uh, but yeah, just meta just yeah, was the most uh, natural for me. And, uh, you know, Ottawa's great. We have a lot of excellent medical educators. A lot of them are internationally renowned. And when you chat with them, they're just such nice people. And so uh, for me, it was just like, yeah, these are the sort of people I want to hang out with. There's a research support unit there and everyone's amazing. Like it's just, uh, um, so a lot of these things sort of pointed me towards that. Um, but yeah, it's in a nutshell. It was the, the it, it, teaching is a lot of fun. I, um, I, I you know, you, you're a teacher as soon as you come into med school, you know, and uh, to be um, uh, chosen to be a chief resident as initial medicine, and then the chief resident role. There's a lot of teaching. Um, uh, yeah, it's so in a nutshell. It's just uh, I get a lot of like um, energy from teaching. It's something about it. It's uh, uh, man, I love my coffee, as you might know, but uh, you, you you do get this um, uh, energy boost from from teaching as well. Yeah. Yeah, and you're great at it too. We have had such a good Thank time you. having enjoying the endocrine Thank blog you. so far. Um, I was wondering. I can hear about it. So how how do you? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so how do you think, since you've been in academia for a while now, how do you think medical education has changed since you were in medical school and residency training to now being the teacher? So going from the learner to a teacher, do you find that students are different nowadays i can talk about that for an hour but i won't um uh you know there are some similarities there are some differences um not just because of medical education but just uh you know society in general right so um what i really wished i had as a medical student was more of the um not so much like woke culture but just the cultural insensitivity the um uh, truth and reconciliation, the indigenous health. Like I had uh, very, I had like no exposure for that. And so it wasn't until like 2014 and I was already well 
past med school at that point where I, I finally learned for like for the first time about residential school. So uh, mm-hmm. not that I was embarrassed that I didn't know about it until then, but like I was just like, oh my God, I didn't know. I can't believe I didn't know about this until now. So, and now in Ottawa anyway, I don't know about other schools, uh, as you know, your first, like your very first CBL. Uh, yeah, it's a hypertension case, but it's actually more of a, um, uh, the, the focus is more on indigenous health, the uh, 60s group and so on. So uh, those sort of things I wish I had more exposure to. Uh, I went to U of T and uh, uh, there was, uh, they, they had the, the Black Medical Association, Students Association there. Uh, and uh, and now they have their own Twitter account. And so like whoever's running that account is doing an amazing job. Like it's really, it uh, really, um, uh, really uh, puts into light like a lot of these issues that uh, I was just completely uh, blind to, and uh, I wish I knew more about. Uh, I think as a student, if I was more aware about it, of, of uh, about it, I, I might be an even better uh, clinician, I'd be more sensitive to things. So, uh, I think that's certainly something different now versus uh, before. There's certainly more room for improvement, right? There's the, uh, uh, but yeah, and uh, things like inclusion, diversity, sort of things. So. Um, uh, and and then social media as well. So like uh, you know, <laughs> when I joined Facebook, it, your wall was like uh, it, anyone can change the wall at any time. Like that's how much of a dinosaur I am. And then now now there's Twitter, and Twitter is just like it's so um, you can really see some cool um, <clears throat> insights and stuff that your tutors or teachers may not give you in the lecture sort of thing. So uh, yeah. So uh, yeah, then then yeah, it, it just uh, it, that's how things have changed. Technology and uh, the flip classroom videos, which we're trying to uh, introduce here in Endo Black, like uh, that, that's how things sort of have changed, um, and it's exciting. You know, we don't want things to stay stagnant. Um, we want uh, people to tell us feedback, like how to improve. Uh, that's why I love me- working with students a lot. As oftentimes the medical students have the uh, some a lot of good bright ideas. You know, you're 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 in the thick of things. Uh, but I hope that sort of questions. There's again, I can go on and on about this. It's just. Uh, uh, certainly things I wished I, I, I had when I was a med student. And then similarities are all the same. You know, everyone everyone's worried about the exams. And <laughs> uh, yeah. that, that, that aspect I find is the same now versus before. Uh, but uh, the social media, the uh, society, all that stuff, that has changed even in the past 10 years. So I yeah, hope that answers that question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty exciting, all the innovation that's come out and... The, the new like integration, as you said, of like the social aspects of medicine yeah. and the humanities, something I really yeah. enjoy. So yeah. yeah, it's nice. It's nice to see that we're going in a, a positive direction. Sure. And like uh, you were mentioning uh, the 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 flip class uh, flip classroom videos, which you know I think a lot of us have found are really helpful, and it's it's just it's so great that you know. That I guess you know you, uh, the faculty and you are um, innovating and trying to better medical education. Yeah, yeah, we are. We are trying. We are trying. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I guess that kind of leads us into our next question. So we were wondering, and we want to know um, from which topics covered mm-hmm. in in, in uh, our endocrinology block um, do you find the most interesting or fascinating? Yeah, there's a there's a 46 way tie for first. Uh, I'm just kidding. Um, uh, I'm kind of biased. Like I, I love it, diabetes. Like it's just like I just like live and breathe diabetes. I can just see diabetes all day. It's um, uh, so that week. But they're all they're interesting in their own ways, you know. Um, 
Uh, I wish there was more time to talk about diabetes with you all, right? Because, you know, most of what we see, like, you know, 80, 90% of what I do is diabetes, right? So why is it just the four days, you know, after Thanksgiving before your midterm that we talk about diabetes, right? So there's, um, uh, there, there, there are challenges there. But yeah, interesting topics that we cover are, um, are certainly the, uh, uh, the diabetes week and yeah they all have their own interesting bits to it like the lipids and the pathways like that's overwhelming it's really tough really hard uh, uh, there was this joke I used to give um, uh, for uh, when I started uh, endoblock lectures uh, I didn't do it in virtual because I didn't know who's going to be laughing or not but it was just uh, you know we're going to go through these lipid pathways they're really complex uh, but you know uh, Rome wasn't built in the day and then I would say just uh, that's a dated con uh, that's a dated uh, term. So how about we say uh, Beyonce wasn't uh, built in the day, right? Like she had to go through Destiny's Child, and then they played Miss Two People, and then like Michelle Williams came by, and then like still kind of great, and then she became solo, and yeah, yeah. So it takes a long time to like study stuff, but uh, but eventually once you like stick to it, yeah. stick to it, and you kind of get a grasp of these lipid pathways, uh, they're actually kind kind of neat to um, try and explain to patients um, uh, these sort of topics. And yeah, there is something unique for every single week that I can just go on and on and on about. Uh, I have like, you know, least favorite topics in endocrinology, but I still like them a lot, right? So like my threshold mm -hmm. for hate or love is there, uh, the, all the topics in endocrinology uh, are, mm -hmm. are above that uh, threshold. But um, yeah, so certainly ones I like more than others, but uh, uh, yeah, diabetes lipids I like a lot. Osteoporosis, I have a clinic, so I, of course I love the bone stuff. Um, yeah, I'm just rambling. I, uh, you're right. There are so many interesting topics. Yeah. There's not mm -hmm. the one best one, but if you're top five, it would be like diabetes, 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 maybe lift, and then diabetes again. Yeah. <laughs> mm, that's very interesting. Very cool. It sounds like you're obviously very passionate about endocrine, and it comes oh, out you. when you're teaching as well. Yeah. I was going to ask you, what concepts do you find that medical students have the most difficulty yeah, with? Yeah. Uh, and you know, the great thing about endoblock is that it's a different set of students every time and it's different perspectives, even though sometimes the content's the same. Uh, so this year and uh, maybe last year was the concept of reference ranges, lab ranges, where, you know, we'd give you a lipid profile and people would say, like, well, what's the normal range for triglycerides? What's the normal range for HDL, LDL? And it's just, it's not... Um, uh, it's not that simple, you know, like, so when you order a test and they give you that normal range, it's not, it's not that straightforward. If someone's number is in the normal range, you're good to go. Right. So, uh, so, uh, the, who knows that it's the biochemist. So I've actually reached out to them recently to say, um, are you all interested in them? giving a talk to the med students because um, there is something in the in the in lipid week I think can be replaced with something else. And so um, uh, having like the biochemist talk to med students about uh, what's a reference range, what's a, what's a clinical cutoff, you know, how are these reference ranges done? Because uh, in, in med school, in your OSCEs, you just reel off like, you know, CBC, lights, bun, creatinine, like, all that stuff. But do you really appreciate like uh, what goes on when you order that, right? Like the, the nurse has to find the colored tube, the correct colored tube and then get the blood from the patient and then sometimes the lab has to get it right away you know sometimes it has to be processed in this machine or that machine sometimes it's batched before it gets run you know like all these uh sort of uh, intricacies in ordering a lab i, I do think um 
if uh, students had a better appreciation about it, uh, you might you might um, uh, it might help with some concept in the necronology, particularly the lipids and the reference ranges and the targets. Um, so uh, yeah, that's one thing. There's a, a bunch of other things too, but I, I, again, I don't think our challenges are unique to endoblock per se. Um, I, I don't know relative to other rotations how difficult our block is. Like I would imagine neurology is a super hard one because neurology is very tough, but. Um, uh, but concepts in endo, um, mm. I don't. Uh, the one for this year, anyway, was the the labs and the reference ranges. Yeah. And then um, I guess another question we wanted to ask you um, was in regards to clerkship students. And uh, it, would there be any advice that you would give to uh, clerkship students who are doing a, a rotation in uh, endocrinology? Oh yeah, uh, uh, I mean, I can just give you general advice for all your rotations. There's nothing. I mean, there's something specific to endo. Endo, mm -hmm. it's um, in Ottawa anyway. You have clinics, but during COVID, it'll be just phoning people. So we uh, we did. Uh, I think there is a there are students mm -hmm. signed up to do uh, uh, rotations with us soon. Um, it's uh, we haven't had a student uh, with us um, during COVID yet, but it's going to happen soon. So I think just general advice is the way to go here. One is just like medical expert role, just not not to forget about it, but uh, it's not the most important role here. So in your first, that's all you know now, right? It's just like pre-clerkship is basically all medical expert. You get, you know, know all, you know, know your Krebs cycle, know your uh, cascade, co coagulation cascade, but that doesn't mean much uh, in, uh, <laughs> in clerkship. It might mean something, but what's more important are all your other roles, right? So like, can you get stuff done? You know, can you just do stuff no one else wants to do? And that has nothing to do with your medical expert role. So then you don't have to feel so bad if you don't think you know so much. You just kind of say, well, I might not know like the top 10 reasons and the, the, I don't know the top 10 side effects of, um, of antiplatelet therapy, you know, uh, but, uh, you know, I'll call that patient for you, you know, <laughs> uh, so just doing stuff and then, uh, just mm -hmm. showing up on time, you know, like not to say people have issues with that, but some people really do. And it's, uh, for, for a preceptor, we want to find that balance between, you know, well-being, mental health, that sort of thing. But mm -hmm. uh, but you just gotta show up on time, like. And if you're always that person who's always late, like you gotta figure that one out, because it's just it gets kind of insulting that you're just like like come on. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, not to say that if you show up late one time, you're gonna just uh, not do well. But if that's an issue for you, you really need to to figure that out somehow. Uh, but yeah, uh, I call it GSD, which is get stuff done. You know, the S actually stands for something else, but it's uh, you know for a podcast, I'm not gonna say that word. Uh, but yeah, and again, you want to balance work balance. You don't want to do all the quote unquote scut work, but, uh, you know, I tell people, what do you call scut work when you become a staff like me? It's just work. Like there is a lot of it out there. There is learning to it. It may not be like as traditional, a, a traditional learning, but you may catch stuff that other people don't catch, you know, Hey, do that, uh, discharge summary. And then you're doing it. And then you realize this person, uh, had a lab value from, uh, you know, had a urine glucose that was positive, uh, four days ago and no one follow up on that. Right. So something like that you can catch. So yeah, so, some big advice here, but the take home is, uh, beyond show up on time is also be nice to everyone. Like you have no idea, like, how that's going to help you later on. <laughs> uh, yeah, you want to be nice to everyone because even if you're, even if you're like a huge, uh, you know, uh, if you really are interested in, you know, you know, vascular surgery and then you're on psychiatry and then you're just like, whatever, I don't care how well I do on this rotation. Like you want to do well on every single one of your rotations because what if like the psychiatry staff is married to, you know, his wife is a vascular surgeon, right? Like you never know. So 
in, in the midst of uh, burnout <laughs> well-being sometimes you will sort of drop that and then you might um, say something you may not mean it's hard to be on your a game all the time but just being nice to everyone is so key not just to your uppers but to people um to like your staff your nurses your, your fellow students everyone just just be nice to everyone uh, yeah, and then just get stuff done. It's uh, there's a lot of non-medical stuff that we don't teach you about in med school. Things like discharge summaries, consulting, interprofessional care, calling families for updates, chasing down lab results. But uh, they're all part of patient care. If you're able to do all that, they might say, "Hey, this person is really hardworking for that. Maybe we'll get them some of these interesting cases." Um, yeah, it's just sort of generic advice that sort of de-emphasizes the medical expert role, which is still important, but I find the communicator role is uh, so much more important. And this, that's something you can really start to get a good practice on when you're on on your clerk's rotation. So I'll stop there. I can go on and on and on, but um, I'll just stop there. Really good. <laughs> yeah, that was great advice. I love that. I like how you were saying or it kind of it's kind of a relief no and it is it is hard like even because uh, you don't want to sound like you're stupid right no one wants to sound like they're stupid uh so that's why sometimes when you do cbl like yeah. or, uh, it can be a lot of quiet moments because no one wants to say anything silly but i say like get all of your mistakes out now you, you learn so much more from your mistakes than your than your successes right like people tend no one dwells on their successes unless they're like a, a complete arrogant person uh you just uh, you'll dwell on your mistakes oh that one time i did this right uh and so it might bite into you but yeah uh, just to to be a, not be afraid of failure be a, be comfortable with being uncomfortable you know like you want to you still have your safety net use that safety net while you still have it if you don't know just say you don't know like um uh because if you're making stuff up we can tell like we can tell like you know did you ask if she did you ask if she was planning pregnancy like we can tell if you didn't ask that so, you know, did you ask about her menstrual cycles we can tell and so you just say no i didn't that's a good question to ask Ask, I'll learn that for next time. You know, that's uh, uh, and again, that's more. If, if I have a student like that, I'm not going to think I I can't. Uh, this student is is not competent. It's more just like I can trust this student. You know, yeah. I can tell that they learned something there. They can help for next time. And in a world of competency-based education, which is what this world is going to, it's this entrustability factor. Can I trust this? learner to do something for me when i'm not there and so uh things like getting stuff done being truthful admitting you're wrong uh things uh, to make sure to show your preceptors you want to learn and improve yourself like these are all things that go beyond the medical expert role you know right right taking feedback yeah well and it can be hard because no one wants to like be told mm -hmm. how they're bad but that's i'm not this toot my own horn here but uh i i do think like just receiving feedback or being open to it is so key uh, uh like the detractors like people who don't like you can actually really help you like no one's like evil evil like everyone's a pretty nice person and so if you get like some negative feedback mm -hmm. it's so hard not to take it personally but it can really help so i know i'm sort of rambling here but uh when you get to my stage there's this 360 feedback thing where uh you um uh, it's all anonymous and you get to decide who gives you feedback right so you can just send it to all your buddies and get praise right but for me though i'm just like who doesn't like me who like who like who do i annoy and i knew who i know so like that was that one to the first of my list like i want to know what they think about me and then i got some really good really good feedback from that and yeah it was hard to read uh but uh but i do think it's uh, mm -hmm. it really helped me 
yeah so being it's so hard there you're going to be so stressed you're going to have no sleep not even going to eat and you know seeing your family friends and uh, it's hard to have that positive mentality all the time but uh it is also very exciting very very um uh, a good opportunity a clerkship is hard but uh you'll you all get through it hopefully and uh and try to always remember that mm -hmm. uh there are ways there are things beyond the medical expert role that that's uh, really help yeah oh yeah final note to the i don't know thing like i've been doing that with patients they'll mm -hmm. ask me something and i'll be like oh, i don't know i'll look it up and then i've had some patients say like you know i really admire that <laughs> that you just didn't try to you know mumble around so you can just say great question i don't know and uh, i've done right. that too in lectures but you know someone asked me about like the pathology mm -hmm. of uh, amyloid and stuff like oh i don't know that that's uh well uh, that's a good question though you okay that's it i'll stop talking yeah <laughs> that's great so yeah is there a follow-up um, question if that's okay yeah, ahead, like, that, that was like that was wonderful and you know, I think you're right. A lot of people have a fear of admitting, you know, they don't know and mm -hmm. they try to make something up in response to that. And that's, I feel like as you're seeing, usually I feel like that's worse, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can tell if you're lying. So I tell people like, yeah, when you, when, the more you know, the more you realize you don't know. You've heard that. Uh, but then also the more you realize others don't know much either, right? So then you just have to kind of find a good balance there. Uh, and if you if you find that a field where you don't know much, where people don't know about, uh, uh, sorry, don't know much about, then that sort of inspires research, right? So, mm -hmm. uh, so yeah. When uh, there was this, another tweet I read, I, it was like this. Um, it was a diagram where there, there was in the beginning there's like this hill. It's called like the childhood hill. Like you think you know everything. You're just like I am the best. I am the smartest. And then you start questioning yourself. Like, do I really know that? And then you go down this huge hill of like self doubt. You're like, oh, I really, I, I really should have known more about this. And then it takes that. Um, that strong person to, to look into that more and then contribute to the field. Uh, that's uh, uh, that was I think just yesterday I saw that. So yeah, is that, is that the the Dunning Kruger effect, the psychology concept? Like people who don't know much about something think they know everything about it. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. It's uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. I think like once you know all of us, all of us medical students, you know, once we got into medical school and we started learning this stuff, we realized, wow, we we really do not know a lot. We don't even know what we don't know, too. Which is yeah, yeah. They say uh, whatever you learn in med school, like mm -hmm. uh, in the first day of med school, you're going to learn stuff in the next four years. Half of it's going to be wrong, but you're not going to know which half of it it's going to be. Yeah, it's, um, <laughs> that's reassuring. Yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah. man, there's going to be a lot to sift through. <laughs> so I guess um, as you were talking about um, how nowadays in the endocrine clinic, yep. you guys are doing mm -hmm. a lot of phone calls and telemedicine. I guess just a, a final question that we were interested in asking you about to wrap up um, is about COVID and the pandemic and how that impacted your practice yeah. and experience in the clinic. I was in, uh, I, I'm incredibly like endocrinology is uh, again, I'm, I'm a very lucky person. So uh, the COVID uh, affected so many different specialties, mm -hmm. right? Like I feel so bad for primary care because um, there's so much that relies on in-person things like well baby checks, uh, vaccines, uh, uh, and then to have to call these patients and, um, uh, you know, calling even the, their work staff are so over. It's a lot of people want to get a hold of their family doctors. So yeah, so uh, it has COVID has affected people in really bad ways. Uh, surgeons, for instance, they have limited or or time. 
uh, a lot of wait lists are going down. So uh, I imagine as a surgeon, you're just calling people, but you can't uh, do what you were trained to do for them. Like it's so challenging. Uh, but as an endocrinologist, like very lucky that uh, we didn't have to worry about stuff like not getting paid. You know, like uh, a lot of things we can do are just can be done by the phone. Um, you know, diabetes, what are your, you just talk about diabetes and sugars, you know, we might not be able to do the monofilament testing, uh, or, um, or blood pressure reading, or like to read through their meter, but, um, uh, if I was a rheumatologist, let's say, like, what if someone has joint pain, I can't put my hands on their joints, you know, a neurologist, I can't do that, all the physical exam there. So, uh, yeah, it's very lucky as an endocrinologist that the COVID hasn't hit us as bad as others. Uh, so my experience over the phone, it's been great. <laughs> it's been great. I am such an introvert. It's like, yeah, yeah, I like talking to people, but like just like hiding from people is, is equally as good, if not better. You know, when COVID came out and they said uh, you have to socially distance, I said, that's great. I've been socially distancing for years. Uh, and the thing with the phone, I'm, I'm decent with technology. So if patients will be on speakerphone. I'll just be typing away, doing other things. Don't tell my patients this, but, you know, just getting multiple things done at once. And then I can also look up something and they don't even know I'm looking it up. I'm just kidding. I, I actually tell them I'm looking it up right now. Um, so yeah, it has affected us, but you know, if you're, if you're keen enough and you want to improve, you'll, you'll find ways to, to adapt. Um, and then, uh, for us, the, uh, so some patients are sad. They don't get to see us in person. Others are very much happy to stay home, not have to pay for parking, not have to wait forever in the crowded waiting room. Right. So it has benefited some people as well. Uh, for our patients with diabetes, uh, they know yeah. if you have COVID, you're more likely to get, sorry, if you have diabetes, you're more likely to get COVID. And if you get it, it's more likely to be severe. So as a diabetes doctor, like going through some of those anxieties, mm. um, but, uh, but otherwise, uh, it has affected us, but we have found ways to, to adapt. Uh, the teaching environment, as you asked, uh, yeah, now it's all virtual now. Uh, and we're learning as we go along, you know, like we, we do our best, but uh, we are learning as yeah. we go along. CBL is definitely different now, um, uh, but uh uh, but it's it's working. <laughs> it, it is. Uh, it's uh, what we have is good. You have to work with the cards yeah. uh, you're dealt, and it's a new normal. You'll hear so many people say that, and to to try not to dwell on. Oh my God, I wish I went back to where it was before. Like I'll be honest, uh, I I'm dying to go back to Toronto to see my family, but I don't think we're gonna do that for winter. And I don't know. I don't know what I'm gonna do when uh, when I'm trapped with my kids for two weeks. Uh, but uh, but we'll, but we'll see. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's it, the COVID does affect so many people in so many ways. Uh, it does add to the not the excitement, but the the interesting part about diabetes. So um, people will say, "Hey, I, COVID I, has been a good thing for me. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm actually out more. I'm exercising more. I'm I don't have to go to work and talk to people that I don't like anymore." Others yeah. have just yeah. used it not as an excuse, but they've sort of <laughs> still blaming. The, they found something to blame all their woes on, which uh, it might be true, but also we want to tell them. I tell people, oh, like, I'm not as active right now because of COVID. And then I, I just kind of say, well, some of my patients have taken the opportunity to, to X, Y, Z. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, mm -hmm. uh, and then finally, as soon as my, one of my kids has a runny nose, it's just, uh, oh, man, it's, uh, yeah, it's, that, that can really affect things. Whenever my phone rings, like, it's just, I'm just, like, tachycardia. Like, it's so crazy because uh, I'm just so afraid it's one of the schools to get oh. the kids. Yeah. Um, Hopefully it's been okay. One of my nurse educators yeah. called me yesterday morning and I just like, oh my God, I thought you were at the school. That was just so, 
uh, but yeah, it's been it's <laughs> it's been an experience. Uh, and again, I really am very lucky to one mm-hmm. be an endocrinologist during this time to have some really good support staff through it and colleagues. Uh, three, we have a bunch of good endocrinology residents that can really help out with our experience here. And um, and yeah, it's been and then and no block happened like uh, you know uh, week uh, six, seven, and oh, is it six, seven, eight, nine? So that means uh, other. Uh, students have already been through it for five weeks so <laughs> we were lucky that we were just like right away the first few weeks because i'm sure, pretty sure there were some snags in the beginning uh so yeah that's in a nutshell it's uh still challenges yeah. oh man like uh, prescriptions and lab work and it's a big uh, toll on our admin stuff but uh, we we are working three ways we um our division has like once a week or once every other week covid meetings now now that we're in the second wave um we, we adapt mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right that's uh you know i guess i guess that's everyone that you know that you got you have to adapt but i i feel like you guys are doing a really great job oh thank you yeah we try (laughs) we try we try there's a lot of things going on in the background that uh you don't always see is always what i try to tell students like we are trying to keep things afloat uh but we're here for you we we uh we want to listen to your feedback too like uh we're very open to feedback okay and I think the last question we have for the day, um, it's it's advice. So I guess we, we were wondering what type of advice would you give us uh, medical students going going through um, you know medicine right now and in general? Is there anything you would want us? Yeah. Oh man, there's so many. <laughs> Some of us uh, I've already <laughs> said already. I, I don't know like what's the the best advice because everyone is different. Yeah. Um, uh the the usual things like i said be on time and be nice to everyone and uh try to be comfortable with being uncomfortable uh mm-hmm. bravery is knowing what you're afraid of and then doing it anyway like it's uh mm-hmm. these are things you can use to to be stronger uh mm-hmm. but yeah just uh, uh the, the, there is more than just a medical expert role you, you you need that medical expert role to feel confidence but you can also do a whole lot of stuff you can be a huge contributor without knowing everything about everything in medical expert role, just being a good human being, team player, um, uh, admitting when you're wrong, uh, that sort of thing, uh, knowing that life isn't perfect. Uh, you have this expectation that you're gonna be the best, the best, the best, but then you, you realize that uh, it's okay to be human sometimes. Um, I do talk to patients in that sort of tone. I can say like from one human being to another, this is how I think and some patients uh, appreciate that. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, the uh, there, there's a lot of things I can sort of just say, but uh, uh, I can't I can't think of one thing that's gonna like help everyone, uh, other than just to know yourself. You, you need to know yourself. You need to be happy with yourself. Uh, it's so hard to do. Uh, um not to quote of all people will smith of all people <laughs> not that he's like a huge hero of mine but uh he and like jada pinkett were going through some like marital issues and then it was like on twitter you can tell him on twitter uh and then uh, he just had this yeah. video where it was just like uh you know he and his wife just had this thing where it's kind of like um you know yeah we were we were together not because we make each other happy like happiness you can't not to say you can rely on others to be happy you totally can but uh you just have to be happy with yourself so if you are happy with yourself great but if you aren't so happy you need to really figure out why you know it could be mental health it could be this that or whatever um but uh 
yeah so basically the the will smith thing was this like cup analogy like you know like you can't come to me to fill up your happy cup like you have to be able to do that on your own so it is great to rely on my wife and my kids for all that support but uh you just have to to know yourself be comfortable with yourself know your strengths uh, one of my mentors said uh uh, stick to what you're good at. <laughs> uh, that's another bit of advice. Find your mentors. Uh, you need to find people to help you out. No one does this by themselves. Uh, you might feel that you're doing everything on your own, but you really do need help. Um, but yeah, but I think yeah, just knowing yourself and being happy with yourself. And if you're not happy with yourself, and that's okay, you can have moments when you're not. Just uh, try to be introspective. You know, e-portfolio. Just uh, uh, figure out those reasons why. Uh, talk it out with others, mm -hmm. and then when you do, you know that happy cup analogy <laughs> in the dream world, you will be able to keep that full uh, yeah. on your own uh, and not having to rely on others or whether they're others or like, you know, other things, you know, mental health and substances. You can think about that too. Are you relying on that? That's more of an extreme example, but uh, yeah, just uh, knowing yourself very hard to do, um, but it will help you in, in the future. I think. I love that advice. I think that's, great and yeah will smith man like yeah, <laughs> like i know i've seen some of his movies you know he's uh, he had some like cd here and there when he was doing rap music but that was a that was a really neat analogy that really stuck to me uh the the happy cup analogy yeah for sure wow it, it almost sounds like you know it, I guess that tr it translates to almost everything because it's like you know you can't rely on like external stimuli or external things to fill up your happiness cup per se right i guess it's from within that yeah i mean there, of course there's some external forces that mm -hmm. you'll rely on to be happy like you know interactions with others and all that stuff your hobbies your interests and that sort of thing but like your adherent like basal levels of of happiness do come with um yourself, yeah. huh. wow thank mm -hmm. you so much for sharing that oh, yeah. so i think that wraps up our interview Thank you so much, Dr. Tran. It was so nice to hear from you. And thank you, of course, for taking the time out of your very busy schedule. We know you're a very busy guy. Yeah. Well, I'm very uh, happy to be here. And thanks again for doing this. In today's episode, we were very fortunate to speak with Dr. Christopher Tran. Dr. Tran provided insight on his journey through medicine, his love for endocrinology, and his clinical interests in diabetes and medical education. We are very grateful we had the opportunity to speak with him. Well, that's it for today's show. Let us know your thoughts and comments on this week's episode by going on our social media. You can always find our podcast on Spotify, Apple, or any podcast retrieval service of your choice. Make sure to subscribe so you're kept updated with new content. Lastly, although we are medical students, this podcast is meant purely for entertainment purposes and should not be interpreted as medical advice. Nor do the views and opinions expressed on this show represent those of our faculty and university. If you do have medical concerns, please see your physician. Thank you and see you next time.